and welcome to the Macafab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Stephen Craig and Parker Doman, and this is episode number 78. So this week, um, I gave a presentation at the Macafab Engineering Meetup. Um, I did a talk on basically how to power up your project. Which was interesting. Yeah. You, you, don't, you don't hear about that very often. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of the, con- uh, the first couple of concepts like, you know, removing your power source or like a physical power switch are kind of like obvious solutions of like how to turn your power, your thing off and on. But, but, but to be honest, not always obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it like removing your power source, you might think that's like kind of a, a ghetto way of doing it, but it's like how almost every single USB device works. Well, oh yeah, exactly. So it's so obvious that you skip over thinking that that is a solution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we also, I went over like, Soft power, which is kind of like the new thing, what, the past, like, decade or so. Um, and the even newer thing, which is, like, using MCU sleep mode or using a low-power mode of your computer to wake up faster, to power on faster. Yeah, because sleep modes are just ridiculous nowadays. Yeah, you're talking, for at least microcontrollers, you got microcontrollers that could do, like, nano amps. Even less in some situations. Yeah, for... Yeah. Um, and it's it's Power normal for them to have a sleep mode now. Yes. Whereas, you know, a decade ago, you had to, like, search for that microcontroller that had sleep mode. So, I don't actually... I can take some guesses here, but I don't actually know what 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 is sleep mode. Does it shut down most of the functions and just listens? Correct. Yeah, so a lot of times it will actually shut down the main ALU, the main... Basically, the main core of your microcontroller mm-hmm. and it will only leave basically what you need to for it to continually operate is it is it like, oscillating during that time de- it depends um okay. on what level of sleep mode um what kind of what what you need it to be doing like some some microcontrollers support um having the counters uh, inside the microcontroller still be alive, so to speak, in sleep mode. Oh, it, it depends on how deep you want it to sleep. Yeah, um, like the Sleepy B that I'm using for the Macro Watch, um, you're able to have the uh, the sleep mode. You can have it so you can still read the pins. Mm-hmm. Well, you can do trigger interrupts on the pins. So, like if you if it sees a zero to a one on a pin mm-hmm. change, it can wake up. It also you can wake up on uh, real-time clock triggering. Yeah. You can just set up lots of different flags that actually will say, hey, wake everything up and do stuff again. Right. Okay. So, so it basically keeps a, a couple of the peripherals inside the microcontroller alive and working. They're kinda, they kind of don't need the main core alive to do, stump, do something. Right. But them getting whatever event causes the core to come back alive. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that would also shut down memory. It um it depends it depends again some yeah. some yeah. shut it down some um keep it alive or just refresh it like basically your memory controller will still be alive mm-hmm. because if it dies then you lose all your volatile RAM mm-hmm. which is not good when you basically come back alive and oh what time is it oh I don't know we just know that the second passed <laughs> oh yeah. I got you I yeah. got you so so the the amount of current that's being pulled the nano amps in some situations it's, that's basically just leakage right no well it's mainly keeping you know whatever memory you need alive still mm-hmm. and whatever peripherals are running hmm. i'd love to see the inside just, workings like what transistors on the grand scale are turning off 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd I would love really to see cool. that. I, I and I don't know. I don't know if that's like readily available. That kind of information. I don't know. And how would you measure that too? Because if you had, you would have to have enough finite resolution to be able to see that. If a transistor's on or off. Well, if you if electrons are flowing, basically. Oh well, and when you're talking about currents that low, it starts to get really ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you probably have like thermal heat is. Well, what gets what gets really hard, I know from my experience, is when you get that low, just measuring it can turn things on. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you have to have some pretty ridiculous. Was, uh, you're, you're talking quantum mechanics now. Well, when you observe it, it turns yeah, it on. Yeah, 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 yeah. You get you're getting a little too close. Actually, you know, so funny enough, I I had a situation, um, uh, like that the just the other day. You know what? I'll hold off because. I'll talk about that in a little bit. It's part of a project that I'm working on right now. Ah. So, so we'll come back to this kind of false triggering thing. So, yeah, your your presentation. Go back to that. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, we just talked about you know um, soft power and that kind of stuff, and open up the floor. And surprisingly, only I think only like two people had questions. This is my first time actually giving a presentation like that, and it's a lot different from talking into this microphone every week. It was good. Yeah. It was it was fun. Yeah. I I personally learned stuff from it. So yeah, I, I I love going to those kinds of. Things. I, I try to make it entertaining. Um, but I'm going to turn that that set of slideshows into an article next week. Cool. And so it'll go up on our blog and. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Stephen, that's the me. project you're working on. Yeah, you decided to postpone talking about it for thirty seconds. <laughs> for, I didn't know how much more you had to go on your section. Uh, okay, so uh, a while ago we kicked up um, some projects for the science museum here in um, Houston uh, with Patrick Renner and Kelly O'Brien. They were guests on a previous episode. Um, so I've been I've been working on those projects. Uh, there, there was two of them. One is a drill project, and one is a logger project. Uh, and we finished the drill project I don't know a while ago. And uh, the logger project is basically going to be complete tonight. Uh, I've got one last little congratulations. Thing. Yeah, I know it's it's kind of it kind of feels good um, inside of my control box because I've been the electrical. I don't guru? Con, no <laughs> contractor. <laughs> no, no, no guru here. Uh, no, so I've been the guy who's done on the on the on the electronics for it. Yeah, and uh, we used some Arduino compatible PLCs inside of this project to drive all of the well to basically be the brain to to control the whole project, and uh, we used these uh, uh, Arduino capable PLCs that were available on. Amazon. Uh, I don't think they they don't sell them there anymore, but they still no. sell them on some other sites. Yeah. Uh, but the website that that basically manufactures them or created the original project is PLC.us. Yeah, we've talked about those guys before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really cool little guys. Super easy to program. They're super easy to operate. They run on twenty four volts. They're just great. I I like them, and they're cheap. Um, Inexpensive. Oh, well, that's a better word. You're right. That's a much better. Cheap word. has connotations attached to it. You're right. You're right. They don't necessarily feel or operate cheaply uh they're inexpensive so all of the inputs are protected on these things uh so they're optical optically isolated you can run them anywhere from 3 to 24 volts on the input so most of the sensors and most of the things i've been dealing with on this um, project are 24 volt and i had a pnp output ir optical sensor as a uh, a sensor for the project that's going directly into an input 
so the common input strip on this PLC is connected to ground, such that if I were to apply 24 volts to a pin, the pin would go from 0 to 1, but internally that actually goes from 1 to 0 because I have a pull-up. Yep. So nothing special there. However, I, I connected my PNP output of my sensor, my IR sensor, to it, and it always read zero, no matter what. Hmm. If I pulled the wire out, it would read one. Uh, so something about my sensor was actually pulling down uh, the thing, regardless of uh, if the sensor was active or not. So I ended up just playing around with resistances um, in line, in series with the sensor, and eventually found a resistance that caused it to actually work. So there was leakage through the IR sensor that yeah. was just enough to trip the diode in the optical input of this PLC, and the PLC thought it was tripped. Huh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, because it, it, what, what it is is on the input of these things, there's two back-to-back -back diodes mm -hmm. on the PLC, and connecting a PNP transistor directly to that actually was a third diode yeah. effectively in parallel and they were just matched enough to turn on the, the technically input. doesn't PNP have two diodes in it right uh, well, well any transistor is, is technically two diodes well it's one and a half sort of it's like one super diode well, it's, and it's one diode. little tiny diode it's a di well it's a it's two diodes that share a junction I, yeah, you, well, they share that. a uh, okay. So this this was interesting. This exact same conversation came up in my electronics class at A and M. Uh, we were doing transistors, and the professor was teaching us like you know a, a um, an NPN transistor is you can sort of think of it as two diodes in series, yep. where you know from positive you have your anodes facing down and blah yeah, blah yeah, blah. Yeah, yeah. NPNPs are lecture. backwards. Yeah. So one of the students was like, "Well, why can't you just put?" two diodes in series and make a transistor. Uh, and it's because the the physical distance of the dyes have to be really close yeah. for, for transistor action. Uh, that's what it used to be called, transistor action. Uh, make that to the, actually uh, happen. Make that the uh, code word. Oh, transistor action is, yeah, the, like is the secret code word for yeah. episode 78. So uh, please write in transistor action to podcast at macrofab.com along with your address and we'll send some swag your way. So, yeah, so uh, regardless, that was kind of the first issue I had with this, uh, this kind of project, which was, that, it was annoying because it took me so long to figure that one out. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And then eventually it all came down to just slapping a resistor in series. Is it like, that, did you put like 100 ohms or something? You know, I started with 100 ohms. That was the first one, and that wasn't enough. I ended up with 18K. Um, I just started going up and up and up. Oh, well, actually, no, I'm sorry. I went way far up. I went like 56K. Yeah. And then I started going down gotcha. uh, because 56K, I was worried about the sensor. If you tripped it the way it was supposed to, then that might be too much resistance. So yeah. I just empirically found a resistor, which, to be honest, when it comes to this kind of design work, you don't calculate this kind of crap. You just put resistors in until you're happy with it. And then you test in a couple situations. And yeah, you know, after the podcast, we should like draw it up on the board and actually figure out what's going on. Yeah, we should. It's yeah. tough. I tried doing it on, <laughs> on a piece of paper, and it still was like a head scratcher. So it was well, just no, like, we know what value you picked that makes it work now. Right. Yeah. Right. And I know, I know the actual part number of the chip that's inside 
the um, PLC. Yeah. So I know the diodes. I know what their characteristic looks like. Yeah, and what we can do is you know measure the voltage across that resistor, uh-huh. and then you know how much current is going through. Well, okay, so this is where it gets weird. It is so low, the leakage current, that if you measure the voltage, at least with the crappy multimeter I was using, it says zero. Ah. It, so it's very low, but so it, is need, e- it is enough. So, so we need the, that, that seven-segment um, oh, yeah, meter right. we, we need that, that super special meter. Well, unfortunately, for this kind of project uh, that you're talking about here, we're delivering the project to the, to the Science Museum. So I guess we could go do some science in the Science Museum <laughs> later on. That would be awesome. That would be super cool. Well, we also have a, another one of these PLCs. Yeah, we could always and we'll do get, it. And just mock it up. and Let's, yeah. just, let's get... Get the seven segments and do a mock-up in our in our lab. First, let's see if we can do it with the meter that we have right now, and then if we can't, let's yeah. get the seven segment. Yeah, that'd be fun. I'm gonna bet you our meter that we use every day is not good enough either. Probably it's, it's not. A two, it's a two-digit. It's a two-digit on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more than two. I think it's a five and a half. What you talking about our bench one? Yeah. No, it's only two segments. No, it's more than that. It's only two. Yeah, it only goes to 0.00. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. It's crappy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's it's good enough for most of the. It things was we a I can't remember the brand. I think it was order. eighty bucks. It's right? eighty dollar, and it's a bench top model. Yeah, it's which, got a big screen on it. Well, that was what I got it for. I got it because it had a big screen and it was a bench top, so you can just leave it on and never worry about batteries running out. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually pretty good at what it does for just checking, like, continuity, which is, like, what, 90% of the time you use it for. Or you're just trying to make sure that your 5 volts plus or minus, like, 200 millivolts. It's good for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually got um got one of those for my house, that that meter. We'll nice. put the link of whatever meter it is. In, in we don't even know what it is. <laughs> yeah. it's uh, It works. It's charcoal and orange colored. Yeah. It's got a really nice display, but only it also two it also has a light up display. Yes, you can you can activate light on it. Yeah, but it's not like a timeout because a lot of like handheld meters have one mm-hmm. light, but it times out. This you just press the button and it and just it's stays always on. on. Yeah, yeah, and its continuity is fast. That yeah. matters and loud. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, back to this project. Uh, some some other interesting things. Uh, so we had a. Interesting stepper motor driver that was kind of in our tool chest. And we used this same stepper motor driver on a project five years ago, or maybe even more, I don't remember, for uh, Summerfest, which is a, a local music festival. We made a thing called Waterwall, which I think there's still pictures on Google about that. It, it basically, it was just this giant sheet of water. I think we, maybe we talked about it. But like, it was supposed to be like a grocery store door where you walk up to it and the whole sheet of water would open and then you could walk into the festival uh which was really cool what it really ended up being was just this giant like water slide attraction thing that all the people at Summerfest would go and cool off oh i was i about to say go and pee in but well they probably did that too so the, the, the one of the <laughs> one of the biggest mistakes that that was made it wasn't made by us it wasn't made by anyone else it just kind of happened was Summerfest had a paint slide uh, on on the hill. Literally, they just poured paint on a slip and slide, and people would go and slip and slide in paint. 
And then Ugh. they're covered in paint, so they'd come to our thing and, and wash, wash off. Oh, well, and we, just recirculating the water? We recirced the water. Oh. So the water went from, like, crystal clear nice to, like, black. <laughs> uh, and on top of that, like, it was really cool water. And we actually had some guys try to drink it. We're like, no! It was, like, filled with, like, just slime and paint and all kinds of... It was gross. It was uh. bad idea. Bad idea. Whatever. It all worked out. So, Except we had a stepper motor driver. Paint. Oh, yeah. It was disgusting. In about 20 years to be like, oh, I shouldn't drink that paint 25 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, Summerfest was just filled with bad ideas that year. Um... <laughs> So I used this stepper motor driver that someone else had actually purchased for me. They just handed it to me, and I was like, okay, great. Um, and it's just it's made by SureStep, uh, and it's called the STP-DRV-80100. That's got a TI part in it. Probably. Uh, oh, because the DRV chip. DRV is yeah. a Well, I think away. that's stepper driver 80100. Maybe. Is what they were trying we to do. We need to take there. one of these apart now. Uh, I have it. I, we can take it apart. Okay. Um, the thing is, this is a stepper motor driver with a ton of. Well, it's at it's at the other shop, ah. but but it has a ton of smarts inside of it. They tried to really make a stepper motor driver that was just like really like packed to the gills with all this crap. You know how normal stepper motor drivers have like dip switches on the front. You change yep. the micro steps. You yeah, change yeah, yeah. the current. You can't do that with this one. This one has an RJ11 port on it, and you have to communicate over. Um, what is it? UART. UART. Yeah. You have to. I've, UART I've had drivers like that before too. Well, okay, it, that's cool and all, and you can, like, send configurations to it, and you can actually have it do acceleration, and you can have it monitor the current and do all this stuff. Super cool. A lot of cool stuff. But it doesn't work, and it's annoying, or at least the one we have. And it might be the fact that it's five years old and has just kind of, like, sat around for a while. Uh, but we had it turning... A motor, but I wasn't able to configure it because I didn't have a USB to uh, RS-232 converter. Mm -hmm. So I went to Fry's Electronics here, and I bought just a Joe Schmo converter. So for those that don't know, Fry's Electronics is kind of like a... It's a like monolith. a bigger version of Best Buy. That yeah. also carries, like, gadgets and, and... Candy and... Candy... Yeah, it actually does carry a lot of candy. A lot of candy. Um, appliances. I guess Best Buy has Skateboards. It's just... CDs. It's almost like um, if you combined the electronics section at Walmart with Best Buy. With a smaller version of the toy department at Walmart. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and uh, all the candy at Walmart. <laughs> but you can also go there and buy computer parts... Yeah, if you want to build a computer limited. from scratch, you can do it at Fry's. Yeah, it's very limited in what you can get there, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And they also have components like Radio Shack. Yeah, they actually have a better selection than Radio Shack ever had. You know what I always thought was interesting about Fry's? Okay, when you go to a, a place that sells electronic components along with stuff, they're usually like, they put that way in the back, yeah. and it's like all the nerds have to go back there. At Fry's, they put that crap right in the front. Yeah, well, they know that us nerds can't walk far. Oh, that's it. We overheat. Fast. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So they put all the components up front. But they sell, like, you can go buy a fluke meter at yeah. Fry's. Yeah, you can get a lot of uh, industrial-level test equipment there. Well. At least down here you can. Apparently, Fry's sells crap occasionally, and oh, they probably yeah. don't know it. Um, so I bought an RS-232 USB converter. So it's literally just a USB plug with something a la... FTDI, uh, FTDI chip in there. It's not an actual FTDI. It's a prolific chip. 
Okay. And yeah. then it connects to a DB9 yeah. connector. So I had to go USB to DB9, then DB9 to RJ11 to get into my stepper motor driver. Well, apparently I got one bit by one of those counterfeit Chinese chips. Uh, ah. So I get this whole thing, bring it over there. I'm trying to configure this whole stepper motor driver. I can get this prolific chipset to read on Windows, but it will not communicate no matter what. I spend three hours trying to diagnose drivers, trying to get through all this stuff. And, and you know, after a bit of searching on Google, apparently there's a lot of people who have trouble with this exact model, which it's one of those crappy, like, obviously made in China kind oh, of yeah, yeah, yeah. things. that Fry sells a bunch of that crap. And uh, everyone's like, yeah, apparently this prolific had the exact same problem that FTDI did. So my well, computer. Actually, that's I, actually what it is, is prolific actually precedes FTDI gates. Right. Long time ago. Right. Yeah. You know, it would have been faster if you just drove up to the fab and just grabbed like the actual legit FTDI cable we have. Well, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> the thing is, I did actually do that. <laughs> later uh so i have a i have a that's what i can't you know what's went. funny i have another i have a usb <laughs> to ftdi converter that's a breadboard mount one and i didn't want to use that because i wanted to literally go right to a db9 style connector yeah because i didn't want to have jumper cables or crap like that whatever so i ended up doing that and apparently my the stepper driver is kind of crap on the connection anyway i just ended up saying screw it and i went and bought an 80 dollar regular stepper motor driver and you know what it runs so much better and it took me <laughs> seconds to flip the dip switches on the i don't like this this stepper motor driver that has all this like whatever this extra like hoo-ha with programming and stuff i i i'm doing that all in my code anyway i'm doing yeah. my own acceleration i'm doing my own stuff i don't need the stepper motor driver to do it so moral of the story there isn't a moral i just didn't like it <laughs> <laughs> so yeah what, uh, regardless, like, everything's working. I'm going to finalize the I project. That, I tonight. think that boils down the macro engineering podcast. Oh yeah, there's no moral. There's to the no story. moral. I just to the story. don't like it. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's just I, I, I've I've wasted probably five or six hours of my life working with drivers that I really wish I could have back yeah. right now. Yeah. So did, did you? Thanks, storm, Did you storm problem. back the fries and be like, "You wasted five or six hours of my life." Not yet. Give me yeah. my ten dollars back. Hey, it was fifteen. That was fourteen ninety nine, and it is a absolute paperweight. Yeah, I can't do anything with this. It yeah. sucks. Just go over there and just like. On top of that, how often do you need a USB to DB nine? Depends on what you're doing. This is the first time for me. <laughs> hey, it actually might be like it might be, you know, less like going to return those kind of items. Like takes more time than you would, you know, save with fifteen dollars. Oh yeah, yeah, probably. And you know, not to open a can of worms, this will be a real quick statement. This is exactly what I hate about digital electronics. <laughs> this is where digital electronics absolutely grinds my gears because there's ground, TX, and RX, three connections, and I and six hours of my life that I will not have back yeah, because of those three. Yeah, but it's not because of that. It's because of uh, well, but but part. but but the the digital side of it is the side where it's just like it doesn't work, and I cannot figure out why, or at least I didn't until I just went and just like brute forced it and bought one that just works with switches. <laughs> <laughs>
But so, you know what? Speaking of counterfeit stuff, this, I guess it's not really counterfeit, but it grinds my gears. Yeah. So um, I was on vacation a couple weeks ago, and when my friends bought a whole bunch of Diet Coke. Oh, wait, counterfeit Diet no, Coke? No, it's not counterfeit Diet Coke. <laughs> but, um, and so I've been like, he left it all down here. And so I've been like, you know, oh, okay, free soda, basically. So I'm drinking it. And I open up the last pack, and they're all bad. Hmm. It's the first time I've ever opened up a Coke product and was like, basically, it tastes like the syrup is missing. Oh. So it's just, it's just brown carbonated bitter liquid. Oh, that's rough. All of them. That is rough. Yeah. Every single can. Yeah. And yeah. Probably that I'm lot. sorry, Parker. You only have six months to live now. <laughs> <laughs> that's a higher estimate than I put on myself. We're going to have to, we're going to have to, uh, Subscribe to the earn this package. <laughs> the earn this package. <laughs> so, yeah. So I got hit but by, that was, that by was... malware with hardware. Ah. So so some malhard. Malhard. Or some some hard mal. Hard mal. Well, <laughs> I was I was thinking about it, and uh, that's that's what like you know going back to fries and returning. It's like I can go to Kroger, which is the local like chain in in, in the south for groceries and like get my two dollars back if oh. i really was an asshole <laughs> yeah well okay no no do you know how psycho i would look if i brought back this open electronic thing and be like this is chinese counterfeit electronics they would look at me like i'm absolutely psycho you have to come yo you should do it and actually wear a tinfoil hat oh my gosh yeah a tinfoil hat but i've got like a tommy bahama uh, a Hawaiian shirt that's open and and a white white shirt underneath that has like mustard stains on yeah, it or something like that. It. And I'm wearing sandals and socks and a gold chain with yeah a gold chain and like really short khaki shorts. Yep. And walk in there and just be like you sold me Chinese crap and you're wearing <laughs> yeah wearing sandals with oh, Birkenstocks with with white like the whitest socks. Oh yeah, perfectly white. Yeah. yeah. And for some reason, for some reason you couldn't yeah. get your undershirt clean. But your socks are pristine. Pristine, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. You know what? All said and done, I probably would actually get my money back because they're like, "This guy is psycho. He's gonna kill us if we don't give him his money back." No, and it is sad because, like, I know I got gypped by that, but no one would probably believe. Yeah. So, okay. So in 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 one other one other news, I've talked about this for a while because. It has been a while, but I finally got the chips for my uh, ladder filter for the synthesizer. Yeah, you f- the, the like tube of five parts or whatever. The tube of five parts that are you know they're vintage, and it's been a long time coming, long, long, long time coming. They finally showed up from Germany. Uh, That's and- not where you ordered them from. No, I did not order them from Germany. <laughs> I don't. I whatever. I got them. That's all that matters. So now I can go and build my. So what are these chips again? They're just they're just five match transistors inside of a dip package. That's all. So they how are. do they match the transistors inside of a dip package? They don't. They don't actually like physically do anything. They just build them all at the same time, so the silicon substrate is oh, all the same. They just have a higher tolerance in building the transistors. And well, okay, so a little bit of fun stuff here. When you first create a silicon wafer, when you yep. cut the big crystal mm-hmm. uh one of the first things you do is you measure the uh, characteristic resistance of the silicon itself uh so every chip that is built o- built on a single wafer will have effectively 
the same resistance in XY direction, but if you build a chip on a separate wafer, it'll have a different characteristic resistance. Ah. So uh, if you have a transistor from this wafer lot and that wafer lot, they might vary slightly. Even but if you build them all on the same wafer, they'll have the same. Gotcha. So even though on the same wa- on different wafers, you might have the same production lot. That's right. You yeah. would have different characteristics. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. That's right. In fact, uh, we actually tested that in college. We had uh, 20 wafers or something like that that all came from the same crystal. And they all had slightly different resistances in the Z direction on the crystal. And that's probably because as they're pulling that crystal through, uh-huh. there's slight temperature differences as the crystal cools and heats up. And, and very edge. slight um, impurities yeah. along with it. It's, it's like, I think we had 99 point, then five more nines pure uh, silicon crystal in in our little wafers, but that was enough. And here's and here's the thing with the with the meter that we were measuring them. It's about uh, we were tr- shooting for a hundred ohms with the crystal that we had, and the differences was like half an ohm between uh, chips. But that was enough to make a MOSFET act differently. So, so these are all matched in a package, which there's nothing particularly special there. But this is an vintage chip, and whatever I chose to go with it. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it. It'll be fun. I think our listeners can't wait to hear it either. I need to build it. Now, yeah. Now that I actually have it. So maybe that's a weekend project this weekend. Yeah. Well, after you finish your, your project at the museum, right? Right. But that's done tonight, and the weekend's just around the corner here. Yeah. Okay, so we'll go on to the pick of the week. Yep. And this is actually a project of the week. Cool. Um, I'm always a soft spot for business cards that have electronics on them. mm and this is called the Electro Card. Okay. It's a business card that has an OLED display on it. Wow. Um, and I picked this because he ran into a manufacturing, not a manufacturing problem, but he ran into a assembly problem. Okay. Um, he used a AT Tiny 84, um, and so he put an SOIC 8 package down, mm-hmm. but the AT Tiny 84 has got a... SOIC 8 wide package. Yeah, you got to watch out for yeah, that. You got to watch out for that one. Um, There's also, isn't there an SOIC 8N package for a narrow? There is a narrow version. You got to watch out. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was really interesting because um, I think almost every single embedded designer probably gets bit by that sometime in their life. And, okay, so yes, you can get away with it. Most yeah, you of just the bend time. the lead. Leads in <laughs> well, and 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 depending on how you uh, designed your package, it is totally not up to IPC code, but it, you can you can heal solder them, yeah, uh, which works, but not long term, yeah. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, I think the guy's name was Michael Tetau, Tetiu, whatever. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, that guy. Um, also the only thing I was kind of I didn't really like too much is it's like. I think it was like seven euros or something like that to build one of these, which is like, I think the current exchange rate is like $12, $11, $11 or 10, let's say just say $10, $10 is pretty expensive for a business card. That's obscenely expensive. Yeah. That's one where you carry around like two or three of them and give them to yeah. you know, high powered executives. High-powered executives. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's the only problem with that. Because I made a I made a PCB um, 
business card way back in the day, but mine was unpopulated. So it was like you... was it on a was it on a point um point eight millimeter? Yep. Okay, so thin stuff. Yeah, and it had a QR code on it that you would scan, and it had all the build materials in it. Oh, that's cool. And then it had a link where you clicked it, and it brought you to a Mauser project link, and you can just click order. Nice. Yeah. And you could build something out of it. Yeah, it was a uh, a boost converter, so you'd put a 3.7 volt battery on it, mm-hmm. and you could charge your phone off of it. Oh, okay. So 3.7 to 5. Yep. Cool. Was there like some kind of like TI chip or something like that? Um, no, it was it was something else. I can't remember. It's called the Super Boost. It's still up on my GitHub from like you know okay. a decade ago. I bet you, I bet you it was a Maxim chip. Maxim, it was a Maxim chip because they have right. the, they have those stupid names like that. You yeah. know, I, I I used a Maxim chip once that was called the Viper. You know? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, they they always come up with those goofy names. Yeah, I like that's a cool name for a yeah. chip. It was cool. Uh, I had I had that chip going. 370 volts DC down to 24, and Dang. and it did it great. I wonder why it was called the Viper then. I don't know. They have a whole series of Viper chips. We should make that the other pick of the week, the Viper chip, the Viper. just because the name is cool. Check it out. They're, they are very weird chips. If you look at their data sheet, uh, they do some real funky stuff to do. And we talked about this before, but Maxim is one of those weird companies that make random chips extremely random. And the problem is, though, is you'll find that one chip that you really like, and you can't buy it. Ever. <laughs> Ever. And they're like, it's active. We just need someone to buy 10,000 of them before we make another, you know, couple wafers of them. You know, I think we <laughs> we talked about this kind of topic, like, in the first, like, 10 episodes oh, of yeah, this Oh, yeah, podcast. yeah, yeah. It was a yeah. long time ago. It was a very long time ago. Uh, uh, Maxim always does, like, that one weird chip that somehow... Does your application exactly? Exactly. With like the minimal amount of external passive components. Right. It's like, how yeah. did you know? Yeah. And then you can't buy it. Yeah, you can't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On to the RFO. Cool. Yeah. On to RFO. So we got three this week. Yep. We have Roomba's next big thing selling your house layout to the highest bidder found on Gizmodo. Ooh. Um, the end of Arduino 101, Intel leaves Maker Market found on Hackaday. And Intel is now number two, Electronics Weekly. Ooh. So we'll start with the first two. Yeah. Because Steven found the third one. Yep. So the f- first one is, uh, you know, Roomba's next big thing. Um, selling your house layout to the highest bidder. Basically what they're doing now is the last couple generations of Roombas can um, basically record how it drives around. And so in- instead of, like, bumping into your couch every single time it knows to avoid your couch now right yeah which yeah. makes sense it, it learns your room yeah it learns the room it's in um but apparently now it can send that data up to the mothership <laughs> mothership of course <laughs> and and basically you know uh i robot can data mine your layout of your house hmm yeah and so now you got this like you know cute vacuum robot and now it's a sinister spy robot what so there's probably a gazillion reasons why somebody would want to know the layout of your house i'm coming at a loss as to what any of those would so be. home automation okay well like Companies. in what way so if you're a company that's developing home automation you can get an aggregate of because i'm gonna bet you most people that go have like a robot in their house that vacuums they're probably more likely to have more home automation stuff 
and st- you know they're more they want more automation in their house, which okay. makes sense. And so if you could get that data of their layouts, then you can figure out what kind of products to either you know advertise to them or develop for those kind of people. Hmm. You know, I or could, sell furniture. Well, I was just about to say if a furniture manufacturer could get an aggregate data of how much room people have or like what's the most popular width or length of a couch they could then build to that size yeah uh and and get data and i was actually thinking uh it's something the article doesn't cover but companies like uh gaming companies like nintendo and xbox you know they had the the xbox um kinet kinetic Mm -hmm. kinet no connect yeah Oh, that thing, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, the Wiimote, where they both need lots of room to, like, swing your arms around. Like, the con- the Kinect needed, like, like a 12-foot by 12-foot space that's empty. Right. And, like, no one's living rooms like that. Right. Well, now, if you have all this data of what people's room sizes look like in layouts, you can probably better tailor your, your device to do that. You know who I wish... Okay, so uh, we're way past the, the days of controllers being wired to your uh yeah, yeah, your yeah. system but good lord could they make those cables a little bit longer you know <laughs> especially the charging ones Expe- you, you, so yeah. you, you remember um okay so uh, have you ever looked at the um japanese nintendo the famicom yeah okay so well the cables are attached to it the cables are attached to it they're attached in the back yeah. So the cables exit the the back of the device, and then you have to pull them. You know, to the that, front. That, that's a standover from the old Atari days. Yeah, they were they you, were the same way. And the thing about the Atari was it had really short cables as well. Yep. So what you would do is the RF and the power cable were really long, mm-hmm. and so you would grab the Atari from and you pull it onto your pull coffee onto table. Your coffee table, right? And then that way you can swap carts really quickly. Right, right. And a lot of games... Or change game mode or whatever. Yeah, because yeah. a lot of the um, switches on... There's actually a lot of switches on the console itself mm-hmm. that would affect the game. Right. Um, most notably is the Space Shuttle game, which used all the switches on the... on the uh, Right, as like a console kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, so you can like switch different modes and landing gear on the console. You know, we should... That'd be a really fun game to play and like maybe record it somehow. Yeah. And for the podcast. Space Shuttle on Atari 2600. That'd be great. But I have that game. Oh, well, you have like a flash cart, right? I, I do have a flash cart for it, but I actually have that cartridge. As oh, well. yeah. We yeah. should play the original yeah. original. But you know the Famicom, even though that the wires entered in the back, if you open them up, they go all the way to the front of the PCB and connect <laughs> there. So, it, like, they put a whole extra, like, eight inches of wiring to make it go out the back and then around. I, it was probably a holdover from the Atari days. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. They probably thought that was... Well, it's like when they brought the design to the States. Mm-hmm. Um, first, they actually... Con- Nintendo contacted Atari and see and saw... It, well, they asked basically Atari, hey, do you want to license our, our product? Yeah. And Atari said no, because at the time they were working on the Atari 7800, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um. And so Nintendo said, well, oh, well, we'll launch it ourselves." But they didn't want it to look like a game console. They wanted it to look like just another piece of your entertainment center. And so they went <laughs> so with they, the... They went with the black wood kind no, of... No, no, they went with the with the front loader. Oh, yeah, yeah, Which yeah. is... Uh, and they didn't want um, people to associate that with gaming. 
Like, because at that time, oh, gaming was a bad gaming thing. was dead. Right. Um, right. And so they wanted to make it look like a VCR, basically. Right. And they succeeded. Well, they succeeded, but Nintendo did too. Because Nintendo. I'm talking about Nintendo. Well, but Nintendo made it like a um, uh, an education device. They sold it as an education device. That's how Rob the Robot exists. Oh, that piece of junk. Yeah, the, um, Rob the Robot was was an American kind of thing. Yeah, because how well, do you break into it? Yeah, and that's why I also like you. You either got the gun combo or the Rob the Robot combo, and that was kind of their way of breaking through the video games are dead. Well, or video games are bad yeah. and waste of time kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen the new Atari con- console? Yeah, that um the um the what Nintendo Mini clone for Atari. Yeah, it's basically a. I, I don't know. I'm more interested in seeing what kind of software they put on it because Atari's IP from back then isn't really strong. No, it's called the Atari Box. Atari Box, yeah, and it has it has their like. You know, quintessential uh, original uh, design features. It's got the like the whole like raised thinned plastic, black yeah. plastic yeah. with the fake wood in the front. Okay, it looks pretty. It looks very Tron like. Yes. Yeah, I like it. I think it looks cool. And apparently, they're supposed to. They they claim new content. Um, who knows what that means? This reminds me of the Ouya console. What was that? It was a um, Android box console that was like one of the biggest Kickstarters of all time, and. When it finally came out, it was a big flop because they just couldn't get co- content on it. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. It's what it reminds me of. But anyways, selling your, your house layout. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, back to that. Bitter. Yeah, bitter. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I could see it being useful for, like, um, services like Amazon, like, because the Echo, it can play music. Hmm. And think about if it had the layout of your room, it could figure out what size of a room it was and and adjust its acoustical parameters and its equalizer to make it sound better. Or they could just data mine and try to sell you things. That too. <laughs> I see you have an open space over there inside your room. You want to buy a couch? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Oh, my gosh. Then you know they're going to do crap like that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Topic two. The end of Arduino 101. Intel leaves the maker market. Um... So first of all, what is the Arduino 101? Do you know? No, I don't either. I think that's why I failed. <laughs> um, they're also, uh, I think we talked about I, in a you previous. Know what? I'm, I'm going to look it up right now. I think we talked about the, on a previous podcast about like the Edison and stuff went away. They discontinued the Intel Edison module. That's right. Yeah. Um, so basically, this is signaling the end of Intel being in the maker market after only like two years. All right. Um, and supposedly, all this stuff had really bad documentation. You basically had to figure out how to make everything work on your own. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, we we kind of did mention this a little bit before in a, yeah. a good big, handful of episodes ago. The thing I'm wondering is, did Intel have an availability guarantee? Because a lot of people put this stuff in their products. Mm. And it's like, did the Intel actually have a? Because like some companies will say they'll come out with a new product and say we'll have this for eight years guaranteed, right? Um, or your money back, I guess. 
<laughs> uh, you know, to be, I doubt it. I yeah. really doubt it. With something, with, I mean, with Arduino, of course not, you know. I mean, think about if Arduino stopped making, like, the Uno. Or Uno. Uno. Yeah, well, I if think they, you, if they think stopped you, making the Uno, people would lose their mind. Well, people just use third-party ones. Yeah, but 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 the thing is, like, if you go down the street uh, to I don't know Fry's Electronics or whatnot, you're more likely to get an, an official Arduino Uno. Yeah. Um, in fact, of all the places I'm aware of, the Fry's is actually the only one that sells both the official and non-official. Micro Center sells the unofficial ones. Which one? Inland, I think. Inland. Oh, okay. Brand. I bought an OSEPP, which is a terrible name for that. They should have come up with a OSEP. I don't. I don't know how to pronounce that. I bought. I bought one of those a while ago from Fry's, but I don't know. So yeah, it's it's one of those things. I think Intel this Intel thought if they built it, they would come kind yeah. of idea, and it didn't happen. So well, it has a okay. So it has a thirty-two bit system on chip. Yeah, it runs. It's the Curry chip. That's right. Which is x86, actually. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. I don't. Well, I mean, it's cool, but I guess it just didn't take off. Yeah. I'll put it this way. So I was reading the comments on Hackaday, and people were like, I bought one, but I haven't done anything with it yet. I guess I'll get rid of it now because it has no support. <laughs> yeah, well, it didn't seem to be any from the get-go. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Unfortunately, with these, when you come down to these little boards where – they're meant to make your life easier. You have to have excellent documentation. Yes. Like Arduino has unbelievably good documentation. If you need to find something out with Arduino, you literally go to Google, you type in the word Arduino, and then your question. Yeah. Like the other day, I or Arduino and part number to make it work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I was working with an Arduino the other day, and I had a question about, um. It was either it was either functions accessing global variables or it was case statements. I can't remember one or the other. And I just typed in Arduino case statement, and then that page came up, and it was like, "Here's everything you need to know about a case statement," and done. You know, that's good documentation right there. Well, I think it's more of the community behind it too. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. You know, we were talking about that earlier today, um, not or earlier this week. Uh, if you go to what is it? Stack Exchange or Stack Overload? Stack Exchange. Stack exchange. Uh, yeah, Stack Exchange. Um, did we talk about this last podcast? I can't remember. Uh, the The very first thing you see everyone post is they have a question. Yeah, we talked about this, yeah. On the last podcast? Yeah. yeah. Don't do that. Well, <laughs> no, basically what it is is uh, the, the very first thing you post uh, is a question. Always include your code. Yep. When you post a question, because the next post on every forum is, please post your code. Please, or your schematic or whatever. Right, right. Yeah. Actually, yeah, no, that's true. When it comes down to like, oh, my circuit's not working, post your schematic, yeah. and then we'll start talking. Or, my board doesn't work, post your board layout. <laughs> it's kind of funny. So Cool. Okay, so the last topic... Uh, Intel is now number two, and we're not—we're totally not trying to beat up on on Intel here. This was just—I found this, and it's interesting. So, Intel is now not the number one chip manufacturer. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Parker, you haven't seen this, right? No. You haven't. Okay. You want to take a guess on who is number two now? Samsung. That's right. 
Aha! Yep, Samsung is now number two. Macrav Engineering Podcast brought to you by Samsung. <laughs> Who is now number one. <laughs> uh, but, okay, so, so yeah, I, I don't exactly... Uh, the, the article on Electronics Weekly doesn't really go into massive amounts of details as to why Samsung is now number one. They, Are we talking about CPUs? I'm going to guess it's CPUs. Well, okay, so it's chip revenue is what they're going off of. So oh, Samsung okay. reported 15.7 billion in chip revenue. And I think that's anything everything that, everything and anything. Anything you build in silicon basically. That's right. Yeah. 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 So uh Intel's been doing good. It's not like Intel is falling. You know what's it's just Samsung did better. Is Intel pretty much only really makes CPUs. And it is it has and they're good one <laughs> thing it does is CPUs, right? Yeah, right. And it was number one in silicon production. Yeah. That's insane. I don't know. It's not, it's not just one CPU. They got like the server line and all the, all the uh, like i7, i5, and all that stuff and like chipsets for your motherboard and stuff. But like Samsung makes memory, it makes drivers, it makes all this other stuff. In addition to processors. Because Samsung does, does, does do processors. In fact, uh, I bet you your phone has Samsung stuff in it. Oh, yeah. Uh, pretty much guaranteed. So. Here's an interesting thing from the article. I didn't know this. So TI was number one uh, at one point in time. A long time ago, yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you guess how long TI was number one for? 46 Just, years. Not really. Not That's a little bit too much. 25. Okay. So Sam, uh, TI was number one from 1959 to 1984. From the beginning of time, basically, till. The time when Japan was basically killing the electronics market. Well, okay, yeah, yeah ex- actually, that's that's about that's about right. In 1959, it was both probably really hard to be number one because it was hard to manufacture chips, but it was also probably not really hard to be number well, one because you're the only one doing you, it. You, <laughs> at the time, you would have basically Fairchild and TI. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And and didn't they used to be the same thing? And then some of the guys broke off I to make Fairchild. I, don't have no idea. I think that's how it went. I know. I know somebody broke off and took a handful of engineers and made Fairchild uh, because they were pissed off about you know whatever politics in the office. Uh, regardless, TI has held the record for the longest of being number one in the chip world, uh, and Intel was on track to be to beat that, and Samsung dethroned them. Mm. Mm. Cool. Yeah. So I guess we'll that'll be wrapping up the MacFab Engineering Podcast, right? Yep. That was episode seventy-eight. Mm-hmm. We were your guests, Parker Dillon, and I was a host, Stephen Craig. Oh yeah, we were hosts this time. <laughs> yeah. Take it easy, guys. Later, everyone. Thank you, yes you, our listener, for downloading the show. If you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it with your coworkers, your friends, your families, and your loved ones. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic that you want Parker and I to discuss, tweet us at at Macrofab or hit us up on Facebook. If social media isn't your thing, the email is podcast at macrofab.com. If you are not subscribed to the podcast yet, click the subscribe button. That way you can get the latest... MacFab Engineering podcast episode right when it releases.